The views expressed in this interview are those of the individuals and do not reflect the official policy or position of the U.S. government, the Department of Defense, the U.S. Navy, or the Naval Postgraduate School. Welcome to the Trident Room, brewer of stout conversation, unfiltered and on tap. On today's episode, Trident Room host Mike Wish sits down with astronaut Stephen Lindsay. Welcome to the Trident Room podcast. I am particularly excited about today's show, not only because I have the chance to talk with a real-life astronaut, but also because I share a small personal connection with today's guest. Colonel Steve Lindsay and my father were Air Force Academy classmates and friends, and both were stationed at Eglin Air Force Base in Florida in the early 1990s. I was only about six years old at the time, but I can clearly recall then Captain Lindsay, uh, only a humble fighter pilot. A lot has certainly happened since. Uh, Colonel Lindsay, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show and be with us today. Oh, certainly, Mike. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm excited to get a chance to talk to you about uh, about uh, my experiences and, uh, and certainly uh, hats off to everybody at NPS and all the hard work you're doing right now. I appreciate it. We recently had Dr. Jim Newman on the show. Uh, he was interviewed by our own Joe Novak. Uh, interestingly enough that um, when I first went to the astronaut office uh, and we got our first technical job before I got assigned to my first flight, Jim Newman was my first boss. So I know Jim really well. I suppose that's not too surprising. I imagine it's a fairly close-knit community when you become an astronaut. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty small group. So I think everybody knows everybody else. It's like being in a small town. That's great. Well, Joe, actually, I think he has quite a few contacts. I'm not sure if he made them through his discussions with Jim Newman or, or outside of that, but I know he was searching for uh, a potentially embarrassing story for me to put you on the spot, but he couldn't find any. Uh, but every person that replied uh, did not fail to mention what a great person you were and had nothing but phenomenal things to say about you. So, Thank you for that. Probably not true. Uh, and there are a lot of embarrassing stories about me, and I'm really thankful that you couldn't find any. Well, we will just have to have you back for a part two then. I would like to give you the floor for a few minutes, and, and maybe you can cover some of the more interesting aspects of your life and your career. And uh, if you, I would love to know if you started off this thing at a young age, desperately wanting to fly and, and go to space, or if maybe that was something that that desire had occurred and as you matured as a, as a pilot and as an officer over your time in the Air Force? Okay, well, uh, it's actually an interesting story for me, uh, how I, I, I never thought I'd end up where I was. Um, but, you know, when I was, a, so if we go back to when I was a kid, when I was a kid growing up, uh, I'm old, as you, you all might have guessed, um, but I, uh, I grew up uh, during the Apollo era and, uh, and watching, uh, you know, Apollo go on and, I think at, at that age, I think all of us, probably everybody in the country, wanted to grow up and be an astronaut uh, back in those days. And so I, uh, and I felt the same way, of course, and uh, they, were, they were my heroes growing up. And, but as I, as I moved on, uh, you know, up into high school and stuff, and, and I, I really enjoyed math and science. And my father was an engineer. Uh, and uh, so I wanted to be an engineer like my dad, um, but I also, from a very, very early age, all I wanted to do was fly airplanes. And, um, and I, you know, I was, you know, I was got to thinking, well, gosh, how can I, how can I find a career where I can, you know, get an engineering degree, be an engineer, but also fly airplanes. And 
about sophomore year in high school, I was on a, on a school trip. Um, I grew up in Southern California and went out to Colorado and uh, one of my teachers said uh, we were going to go visit this place called the Air Force Academy, which I had never heard of, no kidding. And, uh, and I was a sophomore in high school. And, uh, and, and he said, Steve, pay attention to this tour because I think this is where you want to try to go. And so I said, well, okay, I'll, I'll pay attention. And so toured, uh, toured the academy, saw what they did, saw that, gosh, you know, I could, I could get, a, get a good engineering degree there. And, uh, and then if I you know, did well and, uh, you know, graduated and all of that, I, I'd get a chance at pilot training and maybe get a chance to fly airplanes. And so I applied and was very fortunate to get accepted. I actually didn't get accepted right away. I was an alternate. And, Found out like six weeks before I was going that I got selected. So anyway, I ended up at the Air Force Academy. I actually met your dad in our first squadron. You know, we were freshmen. We were actually roommates. I don't know if you knew that. I did not um, know that. No, no, it was great. Yeah. And, uh, and so, yeah, sophomore year we were roommates. And so went through uh, Air Force Academy for four years, graduated, um, and then I went off to pilot training. And... Uh, Finished pilot training and went off uh, to fly fighters in the Air Force operationally. And I'd been doing that for, oh, I don't know, four or five years. And, uh, and, I, and I got to thinking, and I love flying, but I was really looking, I wonder how I can now take the degree I had, engineering and the flying, and how can I do both of those together? I heard about you know Air Force test pilot school, and I thought, gosh, if I could go to test pilot school, then I'd, I'd become an experimental test pilot, and I could, you know, as an experimental test pilot, you get the opportunity to be involved in, in the latter parts of the design, development, and testing, DDT and E, uh, mostly the test and eval portion, but you 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 essentially act as the you're, you're communicating, you speak the language of the engineers, and you speak the language of the operational pilots, and you try to bridge the gap. To make sure you bring to the bring to the warfighter the product that they really need, and uh, so I thought, gosh, this is this is kind of what I'm would like to do. So I applied to test pilot school, and then there was a little there was a little block on the test pilot school application that said, um, are you interested, or you would you be willing to consider going to the joint AFIT TPS program? Well, I didn't know what the joint AFIT TPS program was, but I checked the box anyway. I got selected for test pilot school, went through the flight eval, passed that, and got selected for test pilot school. And, uh, but then I didn't just get selected for test pilot school. I said, they said, okay, you're selected for test pilot school, but you're going to go to AFIT first and for grad school. And I said, well, okay, I'll do that. So um, I didn't know about the program at the time, but what it was, um, and I know, I know NPS does something similar. I think you send a lot more folks that are going to test pilot school through NPS than the Air Force does, because at the time, and I think it's still true, they would only, the Air Force only sent one pilot and one engineer a year through that joint AFIT program. But what okay. that program okay. was, instead of the, the normal AFIT program up at right path for a master's degree is six quarters. Um, but uh, for the joint program, essentially what they did was um, you would show up one quarter late, so that you, you would skip the first quarter, show up in the second quarter, do five quarters, and you would take the thesis portion of your master's all the way through uh, the analytical portion of your thesis, and then you go to test pilot school, and then the last portion of test pilot school, the Air Force test pilot school, you do a systems test project, test management project, and essentially my systems test management project was flight testing my master's thesis, and so I had to flight test my master's thesis, 
And then when I completed test pilot school, I had to go back to Wright-Patterson, defend my thesis before I got my master's degree. So it was uh, two things about that. First of all, showing up the second quarter after being five, six years operational and not touching you know, math and science and, and all of the things I'd learned in engineering, as well as um, the fact in, in those days, this was in the uh, late 80s, computer technology had advanced so much, the PC, from when I graduated, when we had a single giant computer, even used uh, punch cards back in the day, to where they were, uh, missing that first quarter for me, where everybody kind of got re, re-leveled in engineering, made that second quarter really tough um, bit, for me. And, uh, but, then, uh, but then also getting a chance, the opportunity to flight test your thesis just made, I learned a lot, but it made getting your master's a heck of a lot harder. So anyway, so, so I finished all of that, and, uh, and then I, uh, I went off to Eglin, uh, where I ran into your dad again. He was, uh, he was actually uh, doing operational tests whereas I was doing developmental tests at Eglon, and primarily we did, uh, I was flying F-4s and F-16s, and we did developmental tests, and we did mostly weapons testing. So um, while I was there, we did things like uh, we were testing all of the latest laser-guided bombs. I did a lot of work on AMRAM, which is the uh, advanced range, um, or advanced medium range area missile, a lot of missile testing. Uh, believe it or not, when I was there, we, uh, we actually dropped the very first ever GPS guided bomb. Um, is that right? Is that right? I'll never forget that day because uh, we uh, we dropped it off an F-16. Back in those days, we only had about four hours of GPS coverage a day through the through the constellation. Um, and the first time I got in an F-16, where we, which was equipped with the GPS capability, and we actually had satellite coverage, I was amazed at the accuracy of the system compared to what we'd been flying with my whole life, which was just inertially driven navigation systems. And, uh, but I'll, I'll also never forget that, that first bomb we dropped because we actually dropped it through the weather and, and it went through the weather, precision guided bomb and, and nailed the target out on the test range. And, and I remember, I remember coming, coming back from that thinking that, um, we just changed the world in, in, in weapons because now you can take every dumb bomb in the inventory for a few thousand bucks, turn it into a smart bomb. And then you, you saw a lot of that, of course, happen in Desert Storm uh, later on. And so it was, a, it was a privilege to be part of all that, watch all of that evolution. And who could have predicted where, what GPS is used for today? Because we, we had no idea. But I thought in my world, it just completely changed the world. So anyway, so I was at Eglin for... Uh, probably four or five years doing that kind of testing and went off to air command staff on the way, then back to Eglin, was still working in that area. And, uh, and then um, had a bunch of friends. And, and I, so this whole astronaut thing had, had kind of been, you know, I hadn't really thought much about it, but uh, had had some friends in the squadron that were applying to uh, the astronaut program. And I got to thinking about it and said, "Well, gosh, it's uh, it's very similar to what I'm doing now. I'm you know where you get a chance to combine engineering and science, which I love with uh, with flying, just you know a little higher, a little faster, is all." And uh, and so I decided to apply. And uh, and once again, I think they got my paperwork mixed up with somebody else's, and somehow I made it through <laughs> the interview process. And uh, and I ended up an astronaut. And so. Uh, 
Spent 16 years at NASA doing that. I, uh, I got the opportunity to fly five space shuttle missions, participate in uh, building the space station. Um, one of my missions, my second mission, I was a pilot on. It was not to the space station. It was a science mission. But uh, if you all remember uh, when John Glenn went back up into space, uh, I got to be the pilot course. on that flight. So I got to fly with one of my childhood heroes who I never thought I'd even meet, let alone get a chance to fly with which was really cool. Yeah, but that um, was very special. very special. Oh, it was. It was fantastic. And so so I flew the mission, you know, five missions. I had a lot of various jobs there. I was also uh, chief of the astronaut office eventually where I, where I ran the office, did all the uh, responsible for all the training, all of the developmental work we were doing on exploration programs, assigning flight crews uh, and, and executing, uh, executing missions both to the space station and, and, you know, both on space shuttle and, and, and to space station as well. So did that for um, 16 years and left there in 2011 around the end of the space shuttle program and I came to Sierra Nevada Corporation where I'm working today on, on Dream Chaser spacecraft among many other projects. So that's my uh, quick and dirty story. Most of that's true. I'm sure it is, but we'll verify later. So narrowing down that incredible story into some points I know our students will find interesting. I'm fascinated with how the Air Force applied your joint program at AFIT because one of the more challenging problems that NPS is addressing is marrying up the research that students conduct with the needs of the fleet and the force. I just interviewed NPS's senior Marine, Colonel Pugh, where we discussed a system called Athena, which exists within a broader organization called NWSI, Naval Warfare Studies Institute. And they exist in part to help students find potential thesis topics, not only that they are interested in, but also fill a need somewhere in the DOD. But it sounds like this wasn't really an issue for you, that your thesis work nested perfectly with your career and follow-on tour. Yeah, it, you know, it did. But I, but I will say, I think what you, what you raise is or what you're trying to figure out how to do to marry that. I think that's really, really important and critical, and it could help. I think it could help the services tremendously if they took advantage of the resources. You know, the resource doing the research, and if they're doing research, they should do research that will lead to something that, you know, that, that supports the major objectives of, of, of you know, of the, of the parent organizations. I think that's really great. Now, I will say for my thesis, when it came time to pick a thesis, you know, I kind of looked at, you know, the, for, for the joint AFIT program, it was aeronautical engineering was the, was the major. And um, I was uh, primarily doing stability and control type stuff, uh, aerodynamics. Um, and so I kind of had free reign, I worked with my thesis advisor to pick what to do. And, and what I actually did was I, uh, I, I, I modeled the human being or the pilot in, a, in state space uh, you know, including things like neuromuscular lag and noise in the system, and attach that to uh, to the flight controls and the aerodynamics of, a, of an aircraft, put the two together, and were, was trying to use an analytical way to um, predict pilot-induced oscillations based on the configuration of the aircraft plus adding the, the human into the loop, if you will. So human in the loop determination. And then the, the, the flight test itself out at... Uh, at Edwards actually was using a variable stability at the time, a, a T33 uh, that was variable stability, 
to blind, fly blind various configurations. I predicted beforehand whether or not you'd get in a PIO or not, and then I had three pilots, and we went out and flew them blind and actually you know, tested them using a, using a high-gain test to see if it matched the predictions. And so, but, but I didn't, what, what, what didn't happen at the time is, is there, were, there wasn't a pull, maybe it's different now, but there wasn't a pull from the, from the Air Force from here's what we're interested in you researching. So there wasn't that connection, but I think that's a really good idea to do that. That's exactly right. It's definitely an interesting problem to get after, but there is obviously a huge benefit in leveraging a student body that has tremendous operational experience blended with the right intellectual acumen and, and academic training. So both AFIT and NPS have what really boils down to a marketing issue and better leveraging the capabilities that students can bring to the fight in terms of research. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, in the... The analogy is, you know, I can tell you when I was at uh, Air Command and Staff, and I know Air War College does this too, is they when they get projects to work on, uh, the, the folks going to those schools, they actually do get projects based on real-world questions being asked by the, by, by the parent service. And so I think that's done in, the, in, in like Air War College and places like that, but there's no reason it can't be done at NPS and AFIT as well on more technical or... Or, or different questions. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for joining us in the Trident Room. This episode was recorded on March 25th, 2021. For more information about today's guests and topics, please visit the show notes. The Trident Room has been brought to you by the Naval Postgraduate School Alumni Association and Foundation. For questions, comments, and suggestions, please email us at tridentroompodcasthost at mps.edu. Find us online at nps.edu slash trident